0: Hello, and welcome to PW's LitCast, a podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors of both fiction and nonfiction. I'm Lenny Picker of Publishers Weekly, and today I'm speaking with John Perkins, whose memoir, The New Confessions of an Economic Hitman, was just published by Barrett Kohler, the sponsor of today's podcast. Good morning, John. Uh, Good morning, Lenny. Could you start us off with just a brief excerpt from your book?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. The situation has gotten much worse since Confessions of an Economic Hitman was first published. Twelve years ago, I expected that books like mine would wake people up and inspire them to turn things around. The facts were obvious. I and others like me had created an economic hitman system that supported the corporatocracy. Together, the economic hitmen, corporate magnates, Wall Street robber barons, governments and jackals, and all their networks around the world have created a global economy that fails everyone. It is based on war or the threat of war, debt, an extreme form of materialism that pillages the earth's resources, and it is consuming itself into extinction. In the end, even the very rich will fall victim to this death economy. Most of us have bought into it in a big way. We are
0: collaborators, often unconscious ones. Now it's time to change. Thanks for that, John. Could you start off to begin with just by explaining what you mean by the term economic hitman?
1: Yes, I think it's fair to say that economic hitmen uh, like me have really created the world's first truly global empire. Uh, And we've done it primarily through debt and fear, um, not so much through overt military might until (laughs) fairly recently, but that's reemerged. And, you know, we work many different ways, but perhaps the most common is that We will identify a country with resources our corporations covet like oil, arrange a huge loan to that country from the World Bank or one of its sister organizations. But the money doesn't go to the country. Instead, it goes to our own corporations to build power plants, industrial parks, and other infrastructure systems in that country They make a lot of money for our corporations and and help a few wealthy families in the country, but place a huge burden on everyone else. In the end, the country can't pay back its debts, and so we go back and say, "Hey, sell your resource oil or whatever real cheap to our corporations and privatize. You know, sell your sell your schools, sell your your electric utilities, sell your water and sewage systems, sell your jail, sell everything that used to be public sector to our corporations." And we've really created this this global empire. And in the few cases when we, where we fail, the jackals step in. And these are people who overthrow governments or assassinate their leaders, and I. I talk in The New Confessions of an Economic Hitman about how two of my clients, president of Ecuador and president of of Panama, both refused to go along with the system and were assassinated.
0: So let me just take a step back with you a little bit and ask you to sort of briefly talk about your life before you became an economic hitman and the steps that actually led you to, to that position.
1: Well, Lenny, I grew up in a little New Hampshire town, rural town, very, very poor town, my my dad was a teacher at a boys boarding school where very wealthy kids came there but we never had much money the teachers didn't make much money uh and so i was i grew up relatively poor uh, not a bad life but, but a poor one surrounded by very very wealthy kids and and i always had a desire to visit the countries that they came from to live the kind of life that they live and then I ended up ultimately uh, going to business school, and then I went into the Peace Corps. I, looked, I was in the Amazon for a couple of years, and then in the Andes uh, for another year as a Peace Corps volunteer. When I came out of that, I, I did what I'd been trained to do, became an economist with a big consulting firm in Boston. I eventually became, actually pretty quickly became chief economist, and that's what my official title was, but really... What I was taught to do, what I was told to do, was what I described earlier, which it was basically to con leaders of countries into accepting these huge debts and becoming part of, our, of a big uh, global corporate empire. And
0: that's pretty much the, <laughs> the summary, here, the short version. And when your consulting work sort of morphed into this very different sort of work, what about that when you started off appeal to you that you found sort of interesting or seductive?
1: Well, first of all, it it was what I was taught to do in business school. We are taught that if you want to help a poor country, invest a huge amount of money in its infrastructure. And actually, that that works statistically because uh, you see economic growth happen. And so, you know, at the beginning, I I thought I was doing the right thing. Plus, I was making a lot of money and traveling to all these countries that I'd always had a desire to go to, flying first class, staying in the best hotels. But as time went on, I saw that the statistics were extremely deceptive, uh, that they reflected what a few very rich families made the majority of the people weren't even in the statistics. You know, they, they sold their, their things to local markets. They were living off subsistence. They, they weren't part of the economic st- statistics. And I saw that what I was doing was not helping them. It was making them, in fact, poorer. The rich were getting richer. The poor were getting poorer. So over time, I really began to see that this was happening. I, I'll, however, I'll have to say it, and I discuss in great detail in the New Confessions of an Economic Hitman, my struggle with my own conscience because – as I saw what was wrong with the system, I was also leading what I thought was a it was a very, very good life. What I'd, what I'd always dreamed of living, of traveling to these countries and, and making money.
0: And you referred to sort of travel. What countries did you spend the most time in?
1: Oh, my. Um, a number in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Egypt, uh, Asia, Indonesia, uh, Thailand, uh, all over Latin America, Central America, South America, Ecuador, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Argentina, uh, you know, a great many countries. I was constantly traveling to these, these countries, and I had, I had offices at various times in Indonesia, uh, Egypt, Iran, Saudi Arabia, uh, Panama. Ecuador, Colombia, <laughs> the list goes on and on. Find a country that had resources that our corporations wanted in
0: those days and chances are I was there. And what ultimately led you to stop doing that kind of work?
1: You know, I really had a moment of of what we might call enlightenment. And again, in the New Confessions of an Economic Hitman, I go into detail about this, but the short version is that uh, 10 years I've been doing this and, and struggling with my conscience, especially at the latter years, And then I took a a sailing vacation in the Virgin Islands. I rented a little sailboat. Uh, One night I anchored it off the island of St. John and rowed the dinghy ashore, climbed this hill to the ruins of an old sugarcane plantation. It was beautiful up there. It was idyllic. I was surrounded by bougainvillea. I was sitting there looking out over the sunset, setting on the Caribbean. And I was just feeling, gosh, aren't I lucky? And then suddenly I I realized that this plantation had been built on the bones of thousands of slaves. And then I had to admit that the whole hemisphere has been built on the bones of millions of slaves. And then I had to look at myself and say to myself, you know, you're a slaver too. you You're not pulling people out of forests in chains, but you're enslaving people with debt and fear in this system. At that moment, I made the decision that I would never do it again. And a couple of days later, I went back to, uh, to my office and, walked into my boss's office
0: and resigned. Uh, About what year was that, John? It was uh, 1980. And since then, are you aware of other people who had been doing the sort of work that you had been doing, other economic hitmen who sort of got a moment of enlightenment and ended up leaving that career path behind?
1: Well, yes, we've we've seen some very uh, prominent people, but Joe Stiglitz, uh, who was a Nobel Prize winner in economics and former chief economist at the World Bank has has really come out and, and exposed this system. as Ken R- R- Rogoff, who was uh, with the IMF, uh, and uh, you know we've all, of course that we've seen that the more uh, visible people like Edward Snowden, who, who who weren't quite in the same job as I was, but they've exposed the system. There's a great many people that have come forward. Uh, so, it's, you know, when, when I spoke out back in, 19, back in 2004, when the book was first published, not many people had come forward, but, but since then, uh, a great many have.
0: You talked about it a little bit in the excerpt that you read at the start of the podcast, but you go into a little more detail on what's changed in the world uh, since your first edition in 2004.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that, that this, is, this has been a treacherous cancer that's beneath the surface. And, and, you know, since I revealed it in the first Confessions of an Economic Hitman, it's, it's really this cancer has metastasized. And it's, it's spread uh, from the economically developing countries where I work, like the ones I mentioned, to the United States and the rest of the world. And in fact, I think it's fair to say that it attacks the very foundations of democracy and the planet's life support system. All the tools that we used in my day, false economics, false promises, rigged elections, threats, bribes, extortion, debt, deception, coups, assassinations, unbridled military power are still used around the world today, but now they're also used in the United States and, and Europe. And that's really why I wrote the book, because this system has expanded so much that it needs to be exposed more. And I also think we can say that, that a consciousness revolution has, has been occurring. I, I, I travel around the world a great deal. I have since the book was published speaking to many, many audiences in China and Romania and all, well all over the world. And everywhere I go, I see that people are waking up to the fact that we're living on a very, very, Fragile space station. But unlike the one uh, our astronauts build, this one doesn't have any shuttles. We can't get off. So people are understanding that we need to take care of it. We really have these two forces coming together the economic hitman system, that's the status quo that's setting in, and, and, a, and, a, and a wave of awakening consciousness around the planet.
0: Before we sort of get into what people can do and, and what the success has been of your efforts to sort of get the word out there about what's been going on. Uh, I know that your your book has been praised by the former Greek finance minister, uh, Janos Varoufakis. Can you talk specifically with respect to Greece about what role economic hitmen played in that country's financial troubles?
1: Well, yeah, Lenny, I think that Greece is a great example of how the economic hitmen have moved from what we call the economically developing countries to to the more developed ones like, like those in Europe. We, we saw it happen in Iceland. We, we saw it, we've seen it happen in, in uh, Ireland, and we're seeing it in Spain and Portugal. And Greece is a huge example where uh, the people of Greece were really badly taken advantage of it, to some degree uh, by their own leaders and also by many of the other powers of, of Europe and encouraged to take on huge amounts of debt. Uh, and once they took on the debt, and the the economies failed, they weren't able to pay back the debt. And so, uh, the European Union and the troika, as we call it, it, went back to them and said, "Hey, you know, the the, the middle class and the poorer people have to tighten their belts. We have to introduce austerity programs. Uh, we'll forgive the rich. We'll bail the banks out. We'll we'll bail the European bankers out who put who made this happen." And make the uh, the middle class and the lower classes suffer, and that's so typical. It's it's exactly the sort of thing that I was doing uh, in in countries in the Middle East, Asia, and Latin America, and we've just seen it happen in Europe. And to a certain degree, it's also happening in the
0: United States. Bearing in mind, I know the last section of your book sort of goes into what individual citizens can do. But as we talk now, we have a presidential election on the horizon. What can you say about how the campaign so far, the positions of the different major candidates, what does that tell you about the prospects for the sort of change that you're calling for?
1: Well, Lenny, I, um, I, I have to say I, I, I go into this in the book and, and I frequently uh, write blogs and newsletters. People can sign up for those on my website, uh, johnperkins.org. Uh, And I would certainly encourage people to do that because I I try to keep very timely on that. You know, presidential elections in this country are really a distraction. And I'm not trying to discourage anyone from voting. It's important to vote. Uh, The the elections are symbolic and, and presidents do have certain powers. But we have to understand that they really don't have that many powers. Uh, The big corporations control our politics in this country today, and I'm sorry to say that, and and I write books and I speak in programs like this because I want to change that. The fact of the matter is that whoever gets into the White House, even if the person has accepted no money from big corporations, he or she will be surrounded uh, by other politicians, senators and congressmen and women, who have accepted huge amounts of money from corporations or expect to get jobs with those corporations when they get out of office, and also uh, surrounded by lots of uh, lobbyists, uh, roughly 100,000, although only 13,000 are, are actually listed as lobbyists. The others have uh, euphemisms. So, so we have to understand that, that the burden falls on we, the people, the responsibility we have the power to change things. These corporations that are calling the shots are dependent on us to buy their goods and services and to invest in them. And if we understand that the marketplace is a democracy, if we choose to make it that, then we understand we have tremendous power. We've seen how, while I was in college, there was apartheid in South Africa. We boycotted corporations that supported it and got rid of it. We we boycotted corporations that were polluting our rivers terribly and get them to clean them up there's many examples of how much power we have to go uh, and help these corporations understand that they must change their responsibility should not be to maximize profits regardless of the social and environmental costs, but instead to serve a public interest to create a planet that our children, grandchildren, all future generations will want to inherit and that's really why I wrote the second book, the, the New Confessions of an Economic Hitman, because I, I outline in there a strategy that every person can follow uh, to really turn things around, to turn what I call a death economy based on ravaging the earth, destroying the very resources upon which the economy depends, into a life economy that cleans up pollution, that creates new technologies for energy and transportation and communications and banking and and just about everything else. It's based on recycling and using resources in a different way rather than continuing
0: to tear them out of the earth. And obviously, we don't have time for you to go into all detail, but you know, in the last chapter of your book, sort of things to do, you do in fact give a roadmap for readers to sort of act upon, make a difference in the issues that you've raised. Can you just sort of, I guess, touch briefly on, on some of those steps people can do?
1: Well, yes, and there are are a number of lists for for students, for retired people, for people between student and retired, for corporate executives, for shoppers, for so on and so forth. And I'd I'd really encourage people to read those lists. But I think the most important thing to understand is that uh, we have created a a global failure, an economy that doesn't work. Uh, Less than 5% of us live in the United States and consume 30% of the world's resources, well, half the world's verging on starvation or actually starving. It's not a model. The Chinese and Brazilians and Indians can't repeat that, even if they want. They're trying to, but they can't. We need to understand that. We've created this death economy, and we need to get a new story. That's just a story that we have to tear up the earth we have to go to war. We all need to buy into a new story, and in whatever way we can, we need to promote that. You know, if you're a parent, you need to keep telling your, your, your kids that we've got to turn this thing around. If you're a dentist while you're working on someone's teeth, uh, you can talk about this. If you're a carpenter while you're building houses, you can use sustainable materials and let, let your clients know that, and so on and so forth. Every one of us has a role to play. The important thing is to recognize that we each have a lot of power, and today with the Internet and social networking, we have more power than ever. It's, e- it's relatively easy to have a consumer uh, movement, uh, pick a corporation. Monsanto is a, a good favorite, uh, Nike, uh, Walmart, Exxon. If every one of your listeners picks a corporation and uh, rallies all of his, his or her friends on Facebook, Twitter, uh, emails, and once a week uh, sends e- gets everybody to send emails to this corporation saying, hey, you know, I really want to help you. I I like your products, but I'm not going to buy them anymore until you pay your workers a fair wage or stop polluting or clean up or, or whatever the issue is. If we flood these corporations with this information, with these messages, they'll have to change they realize that they're vulnerable, that they depend on us to buy their goods and services and to invest in them and, and, and work for them.
0: So based on what you just referred to, which is the, the tools technology gives to make it easier for consumers to make their voices heard, would you say that you're optimistic about the, the prospects for the sort of radical change you're calling for?
1: Absolutely. I, I'm very encouraged. As, as I mentioned earlier, I, I travel around the, the, the world and I speak at, 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 at MBA programs. Law schools, corporate conferences, as well as consumer groups and so forth. Everywhere I go, I I hear people getting excited, waking up. and, And so consciousness has changed. And now we just need to recognize that every one of us needs to take action every day. And it can be fun. You know, I'm having a lot of fun with this. And, and incidentally, on, on my website, you'll see a list of many cities I'm, I'm about to visit starting next week with this weekend with Seattle and next week with Portland, Oregon, and then moving on across the country. I would love for some of your listeners to come and, and hear me and introduce themselves. And, and we can talk about how, what each of us can do. You know, this can be really fun. Uh, it's, uh, movements like this can be enjoyable. Changing the world, making a better place uh, to live for for ourselves and, and future generations is a blessed activity. And I really encourage people to do do things that uh, appeal to their passions. You know, just, we don't have to look at this as some onerous uh, not work that we have to do. It's, it's really we should look at it more as a, as a dance that, that we, we can do. It's really about changing
0: the story. Well, thank you, John. The book, again, is New Confessions of an Economic Hitman from Barrett Kohler. Uh, Thank you, John, for your time and your thoughts today. Thank you for listening. And please join us again soon for the next PW Litcast.
1: My pleasure, Lenny. Thank you.